0: Paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah the thought of you, I went wondering.
1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who would like to watch the show from somewhere else in the world, Give them a call, tell them to go to www.BornAgainMormon.com. They can click on the TV show and watch it from there. And a hello to all of our internet viewers and uh, the people who watch this show through YouTube, which is a growing audience worldwide. In the house tonight, a fine looking group. We have Dan, Elaine, Mary Ellen, June, Sandra, Andrew, Catherine, Margaret, Jed, Bob, Matt, Ina Caldwell, Ina C, Sherry K, Danielle, Matt, and Maggie. It's a fine looking group and uh, great to have them here. Open house this coming, uh, excuse me, yeah, this coming Monday night in Boise, Idaho. We're going to meet Monday, February 4th from 7 to 9 p.m. at KCLP. That's a station that runs our show up in Boise. The address is 309 11th Avenue South in Nampa, Idaho. It's right next to uh, the world-famous Taco Time. Everybody is welcome. Also, we'll be having Pastor in the pub tonight at 500 South, uh, 250 West, in downtown Salt Lake City. So we'd love to see you there. In the LDS news, I'm going to try to explain this quickly. Uh, Hopefully I can do it. But the topic, this is an Ag Weekly, Agriculture Weekly, and its title is Farmers Face Off with LDS Church. And it seems that the LDS Church goes in and they buy up huge, Uh, tracts of land, and then they go in, and because of their negotiating power, they uh, produce far outproduce the lower, uh, smaller farmers in an area, and it makes it very difficult for the smaller farmers to exist. And so in Burley, Idaho, the farmers are taking up, and they're really worried because The LDS church used to lease uh, these large 12,000 acres of land to small farmers so they could do it. But now the church is coming in and they're saying, we're not going to let the small farmers run anymore. We're going to do it ourselves. And I guess in Pascal, Washington, uh, they had huge holdings and they went and they took it from the locally operated uh, farmers and the church began to operate there. And so this has been a great concern. And... It says here from one of the farmers who is an LDS member, he says, quote, You don't like to compete against your own government, and you don't like to compete against your own church. So uh, interesting things being developed in the agricultural department of the LDS church. Really interesting how uh, all that plays out and for what purpose. Uh, receives an email from, I don't have the name on here, but I just want to read to you some quotes. Listen close, closely to these and just file them away for information. One, quote from Spencer W. Kimball, The Miracle of Forgiveness. We have discussed elsewhere that other class of people who are basically unrepentant because they are not doing the commandments. They are church members who are steeped in lethargy. They are doing nothing seriously wrong except in their failures to do the right things to earn their salvation. Next quote, there will be no government dole which can get us through the pearly gates. No, nor will anybody go into the celestial kingdom who wants to go there on the works of someone else. Every man must go through on his own merits. That's Marion G. Romney and the conference edition of the Ensign. Number three, many people think that they need only confess that Jesus is the Christ and then they are saved by grace alone. We cannot be saved by grace alone, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do. That's James Faust, the conference edition 2001 LDS Apostle. Now, there have been some LDS apologists who try to spin this now and try to say, after all that we can do, does not mean exactly what James Faust says it means here? So uh, it's funny, in the scripture, Paul tells us that you uh, can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ and you will be saved. And James Faust says, we cannot be saved by grace alone. It's just amazing. Number four, there are a few that will possibly be absolutely lost that will go on with the sons of perdition. Nearly all will be saved in some degree of glory and salvation according to what they have earned. And uh, a couple more quickly. This is from the LDS Dictionary. And it says, This grace is an enabling power that allows men and women to lay hold on eternal life and exaltation, after they have expended their own best efforts. Divine grace is needed by every soul in consequence of the fall of Adam and also because of man's weaknesses and shortcomings. However, grace cannot suffice without total effort on the part of the recipient. Hence, the explanation is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do. Robert Millett, one of my favorite LDS apologists of the day, he wrote in a book with Joseph Fielding McConkie, doctrinal commentary on the Book of Mormon. "Quote: Indeed, it is only after a person has so performed a lifetime of works and faithfulness, only after he has come to deny himself of all ungodliness and every worldly lust, that the grace of God, the spiritual increment of power, is effectacious." Uh, very interesting quotes. Remember those as you hear more and more spin. Uh, the present-day LDS Church, that you're saved by grace uh, alone, that we are Christian. Interesting book here. uh, It is called Rational Theology, as taught by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And this was published for the use of the Melchizedek Priesthood by the General Priesthood Committee in 1915. This book, I don't know if you can get it anymore. Go to utlm.org, ask them about the book, check your local bookstores. But get a hold of one of these books and just read through it. It is absolutely amazing, and what it is is it teaches you what Mormonism teaches. It just plainly teaches you openly what God once was and and, and God and sex and and virgin birth, and man becoming God, and all these things are in this, and the reason this is important is because this was a manual that they had in all the church buildings in 1915 and on, and they would use this manual to learn about Mormonism. And now people will call or email us and say, well, why are you bringing up that old manual? We don't use it anymore. Well, the reason I do that is because my grandfather, if he were LDS, and your grandfather, and maybe even your parents, they believed what they were taught in this book when they went to the LDS church back in 1915 and 20 and 30 and 40. They believed these things, and now the church today is saying we we don't believe this stuff to the public, but privately they still do. That's not fair. And even if they don't believe this stuff today, your grandparents believed all this stuff and died with it in their hearts and their minds. So, you know, who can you trust? What will they say in 50 years? Are they gonna say Gordon B. Hinckley didn't know what he was talking about like they're saying Bruce R. McConkie didn't know what he was talking about? You know, that's the big thing. Now, Bruce R. McConkie, don't listen to what he said. When I was growing up, Bruce R. McConkie was, you know, God on earth. Everything he said was important. So, you know, we're going to quote from this thing as we go on. It's from RJR. It's a great uh, influential book, and I'm glad that he brought it to my attention. Okay, anything else? Let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this airtime. We thank you for the people who volunteer their time here at the station, for the station uh, to give us the airtime. We pray for your spirit to be with those viewers at home, here in our audience. Be with me, help me to say the things you want me to say, and help our callers to call in with pertinent information. Let the LDS people call in with questions they may secretly have but have been afraid to ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we spoke about fables, namely the LDS myth of a human pre-existence. Uh, My friend RGR mentioned today that there was a a pre-existence, it's just human beings were not part of it. And that's true. There was because that's when God created the angels and that's when uh, Jesus lived in a pre-existent state. We know that. So that was a good point. We presented the most often used biblical verses of the LDS uh, to justify Joseph Smith's teaching that all human beings lived in a life before they came to this earth. Now Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 1.9, there is no new thing under the sun. There is no new thing under the sun. Meaning all the core principles of truth and lies have been around and they just get regurgitated and reapplied and presented in a different way. But Satan does the same type of stuff and there's no new thing under the sun. Because of time last week, I ran out of the ability to quote the final passage the LDS used talking about the preexistence, and that's in John 9, verses 1 through 3. So let's review that, talk about that, we'll close up that pre-existent talk, and then we'll move on to tonight's subject quickly. All right. John 9, verses 1 through 3. And Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Many LDS believe that this passage proves that we lived in a preexistent state before this life because the only time this man could have sinned, having been born blind, was in a case of a preexistence. The most simple explanation comes from Bible commentator Lightfoot, who's a renowned Bible commentator, who notes that the Jews believed that a child could sin in utero. That was a Jewish fable, that a child could commit a sin while in the mother's womb. So this is a a simple explanation of that passage, but it's not the only explanation, so let me give you a few other. Um, the fable of a preexistent state for man has been around a long time before Joseph Smith incorporated it into his Mormon teachings. The, but the Pythagoreans believe that all men, were sent in, men and women were sent into bodies for the punishment of some sin which they had committed in a preexistent state. This is a very Greek or Hellenistic concept. This idea of the gods being there and people being there and this pre-existent stuff. Interestingly enough, the LDS church claims, Dallin Oaks claims, that Christianity has been corrupted because of the infiltration of Hellenistic ideas and that Joseph, uh, but Joseph himself embraced one of the biggest Hellenistic ideas around and that is that of a pre-existent state. The Christians never touched that one and that's purely Greek, purely so with the disciples understanding, understandingly and possibly having been influenced by the Greek uh, teachings of the day, they questioned the Lord about this. They said, this guy, was he born blind? Did he sin or did his parents? And uh, speaking to his chosen disciples in John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus says something that's very important. He says, Now you, talking to his apostles, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. What he meant was, you have learned errors and falsehoods your entire life. You came and you sat with me and I have, through my word, you are clean. You now have the truth and you can take this truth out into the world and share it. The question of the disciples were not always doctrinal truths. Uh, In fact, they were often full of errors. But it's the Lord's response to these questions where we find our truths. Just because it's in the Bible and the disciples say, did this man sin or did his parents that he was born blind? That doesn't mean that it's a truth. It doesn't mean it has any basis in truth. It means that they had some error, some erroneous thinking, and Jesus set them straight. The Hindus believe uh, that most of their misportions arise out of sins from a former life. Uh, very common. They will say, oh, I'm a former birth, I must, in a former life, I must have done something terrible to experience such pain in my life today. Very common. Even some Jewish rabbis have at some time in the remotest of antiquity believed in a pre-existent state. But this does not make it true. Idol worship has existed from antiquity. Polygamy has existed in primitive societies and in cultured societies. That doesn't make them right. Origin in the apocryphal book, Book of the Hebrews, has the patriarch Jacob say, I am an angel of God, one of the first order of spirits. Men call me Jacob, but my true name, which God has given me, is Israel. And many of the Jewish doctors and scholars believe that the souls of Abraham and Adam have come back and they have infiltrated into some of their great leaders. Fanciful thinking? Yes. Fables? Absolutely. Philo I'm giving I'm saying all these things for a reason Philo taught that the air is full of spirits and that they will join themselves to bodies to get through this life and that some will refuse to join and they, re, they re, remain spirits Josephus taught that the Pharisees believed that the souls of those who were pious were permitted to reanimate human bodies. Because their name is Origen or Philo or Augustine or Josephus, it doesn't mean that what they thought or wrote is correct. Gosh, all of it is evidence of misguided thinking. Now, this is a very important point, and this is why I've stayed on this for a second. LDS apologists today are fighting with Christians And they're defending their LDS teachings by saying, your own early church fathers, like Origen, taught that there was a pre-existence. Philo taught, Josephus says they taught. The Hindus have believed in pre-existence. It is true, it's true. Let me tell you something about that. Christian church history stinks. All right? Early church fathers, they made so many errors. All right, now I'm not talking about the apostles, the witnesses of Jesus who wrote the word. I am talking about thereafter, we started to go into a decline. The whole church was not taken into an apostasy, we can talk about that, but early church history stinks. I mean, come on. So because you're an LDS apologist, don't go back and use Philo and Origen and these other guys who were not witnesses of Christ, who just had thoughts that had been misled. When they write about a pre-existence, it doesn't make it valid. Why, what, what makes things valid? The Word. That's what we go to. That's what we're promised that we can be secure in. And that is what Christians have always gone to. It doesn't matter what the early church practiced. It doesn't matter what the early church fathers or um, pioneers believed. Those things can be right and they can be wrong. All right? So to use a question that the disciples asked Jesus to support a doctrine would be like saying, let's take the actions of Judas Iscariot. Uh, 30 pieces of silver, betrayed with a kiss, killed himself, and apply that practice to the Christian life. It makes about just as much sense. We get our truths from the Lord. We get our truths from the Word in context. All right. The fable of a human preexistence dovetails naturally into another LDS fable, and that's what I'm going to talk about briefly tonight. And it is the most pernicious, humanistic, man-centered fables Joseph Smith could have ever concocted. And it's the fable that God the Father has a body of flesh and bones, all right? And by the way, this teaching came over time, and it was not the result of the first vision. If you want to read the first vision chronology and see what Joseph Smith said he saw in the, the first report, the second report, the third report, and then finally he backtracked, rewrote history, and said he saw God the Father with a body of flesh and bones, just go and do a research. Go to utlm.org. Go to Grant Palmer's book. He's LDS. He probably gets mad at me saying that, but he is LDS, he wrote a book, and he just tells you flat out what the history was of the first vision. And this idea that God the Father had a body of flesh and bones has nothing to do with the first vision. Chronologically, we see that Joseph said in his first vision he saw a light. The second uh, uh, version of it that he wrote down was like, I saw Jesus. You know, it wasn't until many revisions later that he came out and said, God has a body of flesh and bones. It's totally revisionist, all right? I want you to sit back for a moment in the, uh, in the context of talking about God the Father having a body of flesh and bones and just think. I'm going to ask you to relax and just listen to what I'm going to present to you. You don't have to believe it, but I'm trying to plant some good seeds in your head that will grow and will help you understand the difference between all the stuff you have been taught about God the Father having this body of flesh and bone and, and what the truth is found in the Bible. Okay, first... I want you to remember a simple phrase that Jesus uttered when speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said this, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Why didn't Jesus say, God has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He didn't say that because that is not the truth. Do you realize what you are doing when you believe a man who refabricates his history, teaches you that God has a body of flesh and bone, and you discount and you discard the teachings of the Lord who said, God is a spirit and you must worship him in spirit and spirit in his truth. Why is this so important? Maybe some of you are saying, well, does it really matter when I die, I'll find out he's a spirit or when I die, I'll find out that he has a body, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter as long as I believe in him, right? Here's the problem, is when you buy into an idea that God has a body of flesh and bones and you really buy into that one, the next one you're going to buy into is that you came to this earth to get a body from a pre-existent state so that you could be just like him, which leads you to another fable that with that body, you have to uh, earn your salvation because this is a test. Okay, so you buy into that fable, and then that leads you to the next one where, because you're earning your salvation, Jesus is not as important to you as he is to born-again Christians. And then you run into the final fable that will really kill you, and that is that you're going to become a God and become just like him. So when you buy into the one fable, it leads you down a trail to buy into a whole bunch of others. Understand who God is first. You stand on firm ground and then you build correctly. Understand a lie first. You build it on a faulty foundation and you'll fall. All right. The next thing I want you to consider is why did Jesus come to this earth? Okay. Why did Jesus come to this earth? John 1:14 said, and the word who's Jesus was made flesh And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh, okay? Isaiah 45 says, Old Testament, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This Shekinah glory of the Lord will be revealed, and it will be put in a physical body, all right? Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Okay, there's an important thing to understand here that the condescension condensation of God was in his son coming down and taking on this flesh like you and I have so he could go through these things and suffer for us. All right, you read Colossians 2.9, for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of of the Godhead bodily. Those of you who don't believe in the, uh, in the Trinitarian concept, don't believe that Jesus was God, in Jesus dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Bodily, it's important. 1 Timothy three sixteen, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest, made and shown in the flesh. Okay? You see, Jesus came from that preexistent life, As God, as the creator of all things, and he subjected himself to this life, this world, and he revealed to us who God was. And why did he do that? Because we couldn't see God, the Father. He was not visible to us. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John 5 37 and the father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape jesus came to reveal the father to us first timothy 1 17, now unto the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise god be honor and glory forever speaking of god the father 1 timothy six sixteen. this is speaking of god the father who only has immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Hebrews 12, 29 says God is a consuming fire. When Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, his glory was shown. That consuming fire of him being God came out and it caused his, uh, Peter, James, and John to say, "You know, bow their heads, can we make tabernacles for you to be in? We can't even stand this thing. And that was his transfiguration. Why did Jesus come? Before you take your last breath, you wanna know. Finally, I want you to consider one last thing and that is the universe consider this unimaginable expansive universe in which we live. We have a guy named Ken the astronomer who comes to pastor in the pubs with a laptop. I've talked about this before. And he said, Sean, come here. He's not necessarily a believer in the things I believe in, but he is an astute man. And he said, come here, I wanna show you some Hubble telescope pictures. I've talked about this before. And he brings up a picture on the screen and there is a picture of our galaxy something like 250 million stars, planets, and suns. That swirling thing, it's that swirling thing, it has a little tail. And he says, this is all the stars in the planets. And he says, out here, right at the end of that tail, is a little tiny dot, and that is Earth. I'm like, wow, 250 million stars in that picture. And he says, oh wait, I'm not done. And then he clicks on another Hubble telescope picture. And he says, Sean, I want you to imagine that you take your fingers and you make about a square inch and you look at the night sky. You just take one square inch and you look through that square at the night sky. He said, that's what's represented on this picture. And he brings it up. And there on that one square inch of the night sky, talking about the whole sky, one square inch is about, oh, what did he say? Let's see, about 250 to 300 galaxies like ours, in one inch, deep space. And they're all different shapes and sizes, each holding 100 to 250 million stars and planets. And then he said, oh wait, I'm not done. And he takes takes a square of two inches down and four inches across, he says, now look at this. This is a Hubble Space picture and he clicks it and it takes forever to download. And finally it comes up, and in that we see another, uh, what was it, quarter of a million galaxies, each with 100 to 250 million stars, planets, and suns, all of different sizes, shapes, and colors. And the being who created this is supposed to be a man confined to a body with testicles and lungs? who has to use digits in his fingers in order to pick up a pencil? Do you realize that we're confined in a body of flesh? We are creations of this being that is expanding out like no other. And they're trying to tell you he's a man. This thing is man worship. I can't even, can you tell I'm passionate about it? We are gonna die and see the Shekinah glory of God and Jesus, he did this for us. You have to come to understand you've been misled. And it's man worship. All of it is to get you to believe you are going to be a god. It's man worship. Finally, we're out of time. We're going to open up the phones. 801-973-8820. 973-TV20. As we go to the phones, let me tell you one more thing they do. The LDS love to go through the Bible even though the Bible says no man has seen God at any time, even though it says God is not a man, even though it says we are creations, even though it says God is a spirit, they love to go out and they refer to uh, passages of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, that talk about Hebraisms, which it refers to God and the hands of God, or it refers to the right side of God, or about him having back parts, or Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaketh with his friend. Now, if we have passages of scripture that say Moses speaking to God face-to-face as a man speaks with his friend, but we have other passages that says no man has seen God at any time, or you cannot see God, and all these other, or God is invisible, you have to understand the linguistic uh, tools the Hebrews used when they wrote. It's so simple. But don't go back and pull out some some verse that says, see, it says the hand of God here. Why would it say the hand of God? I mean, can you think non-literally just for a second and imagine that might mean his power or the way he works? You have to take the book in context. And the problem is the LDS missionaries knocking on those doors. I go to the airport in the morning and there's 20 or 30 of them lined up and there's one of me going out, you know, and I look at them and and I'm thinking they're just going out. I want you to know, brother, you can become a God. God has, has a body of flesh and bones. Joseph Smith's psalm, he, and we can read, and all of that stuff is misleading and they're fables, all right? So let's go to the phones, Uh, operators are taking calls, while they're doing that, let me read a couple emails from Darren, Darren B., a great supporter in sending information, he says that the LDS, uh, he suggests that if the LDS could get rid of the Bible completely, they would, how does he justify this? If you go to uh, the LDS website, for the Scripture website, in English it has all four standard works, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price available to English reading people. But if you go to the LDS Scripture websites in German, Spanish, French, or Italian, all they have are the LDS works, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and they exclude the Bible completely. So I guess English people or English speaking people are the only ones worthy enough to have the Bible. And the French and the Germans and the Italians aren't capable of handling the Bible, too. No, I doubt that's what they mean. What they mean is if we can get people just to believe in our books, the better. Let's cut the Bible out completely. It's a great point, Darren. Thanks for bringing that out. Why would you do that? Unbelievable. Uh, Judy writes us and says that two LDS missionaries came to her home. She invited them back the following week. They brought a member of a ward with them, and she was there at the table. She had her Bible there and a notepad, and the missionary said, We're glad you have your Bible. We forgot ours. And and then they uh, didn't come back. And I just made the comment to her that shows you a couple things. In general, not always, but generally, the Bible remains the bastard child to the LDS church. They can knock on your door, they can set an appointment, and they can come and teach you the gospel without ever touching the manual. Why? Because they're giving you their own version, and it doesn't matter what's written in that thing. And the second thing, they have no problem meeting with you and giving you their version, these missionaries, if, you know this, if you've memorized the Bible. It doesn't matter because they have the truth in their minds and it doesn't matter what you show or say to them. They know, they know, they know the truth. And so therefore, it doesn't matter what you have. And that's how they can show up to your house and you can have a Bible and they can just talk to you and and tell you what their truths are and really not care what the evidence shows. So good email, Trudy. Uh, Quickly. um, Oh... Oh, no, I won't answer that. Oh, final one. A pastor named Craig in a small town, he says that the uh, churches in the area are doing some ecumenical services on special occasions and uh, in the past year, the LDS Church is showing increased interest in joining these services. What are my thoughts on these concerns? And what do I think about the LDS Church joining forces in these ecumenical services? And I think that they, uh, when I was on the high council in the LDS Church, they started that a number of years ago to try to get in. And they're, all their reasoning was, they have to see that we're Christian too. We have to show them that we're not strange and weird. And uh, so we got to get in there. And anytime they would have a community event, they had a a community church community event coordinator in a stake who would go out and he would participate and bring other people with him. And it was just to show the other churches we're all the same. And you're going to get the um, the you're not going to get the deep Mormonism at those things. You're going to get the public Mormonism. But ecumenical uh, gatherings they benefit wolves. They don't benefit sheep. And so I would strongly suggest you would uh, refrain from uh, inviting them or having them in there. Now, that doesn't mean people, but it means church representatives coming into a group of Christian churches. I would I would say uh, absolutely not, because if you know what they ultimately represent, it's a bad thing. All right, let's go to Kurt and on line one. Kurt, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Not too bad. You, you, you were talking about pre-life
2: a little bit, and I just wanted to point... Point out that uh, if I get
1: you to read uh, Jeremiah on uh, Jeremiah 1 5? yeah, well, yeah. We covered that last week. Oh, did you? Yeah, we covered uh, f- four of the five verses they use in the Bible to substantiate that. Oh. So check that show out at www.bornagainmormon.com, and uh, you'll see the response on that one. Oh, okay. Oh, thanks. Hey, thanks for the call. <laughs> okay, bye bye. We're going to Diana and Sandy. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi, Sean.
1: Hello, how are you?
3: I have a comment. I don't have a question.
1: OK. OK.
3: Um, I would really like to hear when the LDS people call, or anyone calls, that they have questions or comments about the subject matter that you're covering on that particular night. I would just so enjoy that.
1: I would too. So we invite you. Uh, Diana and I invite you, LDS. Call tonight on God having a body of flesh and bone. That's what we're talking about tonight. Or you can even talk about the pre-existence, but we did talk about that last week. Great idea, Diana.
4: Thanks.
1: Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Leroy in Orem. Leroy, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Yes. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but the church, you, you said about a month ago, the church changes, okay? Let me tell you, they have a new doctor now. Nobody knows about it. They keep her quiet. I don't know why they don't want people to know about it, but I went to the conference center, and um, this girl, her husband died. And I says, wouldn't it be nice if you can be sealed to your second husband? She goes, oh, you can do that now. They, you can get sealed to, your, uh, to two husbands now. So I, I didn't really believe her. My next-door neighbor works at the temple, and I asked him, and he says, yes, you can get, women can get silk to more than one husband now, so I talked to my... uh, Oh! (laughs) What's that about? i never heard of this! Yeah, you're right, they're going to change. And my cousin Don lives across from Tom Perry, so he walked to Tom Perry uh, to back to his office, and he says, you know, uh, I know that the Book of Mormon talks about the Trinity, and I'm starting to believe in the Trinity, and I know the oldest church don't believe it, and he says, you know, I wish Jesus Christ can talk to me about it and tell me which wrong is right. And Tom Perry said, Jesus don't talk to any of us.
1: <laughs> I have to tell the audience, that's hearsay. I appreciate your, uh, your thoughts, Leroy. I'm sure that the person who told you is reliable, but I don't want to get into a slander uh, deal here. It's, you know, from somebody else. But I want to check out that doctrine thing. And I got to tell you, even the Christian women in here are smiling and, like, happy about that. What the heck's going on? Polyandry now. Women can have more than one husband for eternity. It totally throws everything in. Dogs and cats living together. We got to find out about that one. Okay. Hey, Leroy, great call. All right, thanks. Thanks. If you're LDS and you know anything about that, I would love to hear a call or send me an email. Please tell us what is happening with that. I guess I've been out of church now long enough where they're starting to do new things that I didn't know. That's uh, really great. Lane, on line four, Lane, you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Uh, yeah, I have a, a question and then a, a comment. My question is, with regards to Mitt Romney running for president, when they ask him if he's going to take orders from the church, he says, oh, you know, he gives the same explanation as Kennedy. Well, I, you know, I'm a Mormon, but I'm not going to listen to what they say. But I have heard these rumors that uh, in the temple ceremonies, they, they tell them that... Uh, the prophet and the Church, they're to be more loyal to them than the country. I wonder you could comment on your thoughts on that. And my comment would be that uh, I remember when I was in seminary, Mormons like to have this idea that, you know, they're the victims of persecution and all, but at the time of 9-11, they, they were persecuting Islam. And when you give, bring up the idea that you yourself can be, become a god, hypothetically think, well, if you're going to be... Uh, manipulated to do a suicide bombing mission, if you were told you yourself will become a god in order to perform this act of terror, wouldn't that motivate you more than a Muslim?
1: Wow. Yeah, 40 virgins versus becoming a god, I think so.
0: Exactly, right.
1: Wow, good point. Hey, let me answer your questions off air. About what? I'll answer your questions off the air. Okay. Alright, Leroy. I mean, uh, Lanes, thanks. Okay. Okay. First question was... Somebody? I shouldn't have done that. Now I can't remember his question. The, the, the first question, I don't remember. The, oh, yeah, the Mitt Romney. Okay, uh, we talked about this before. Absolutely, first of all, no no comparison between Kennedy and Romney, because Kennedy was a lousy Catholic, and Romney is a good Mormon, and the Catholic Church doesn't have the control over its people like Mormonism does. There's some things about it. But no. And true, when you go into the temple, you raise your arm to the square and you covenant that you will, uh, and we talked about this, I'm not not infringing on the things you do Mormons, but you promise before God that you will give everything that you have and everything you will have to the building up of the LDS church. And, And that means everything. So It's not true. He can't live up to that temple covenant before God and his promise to uh, America through the reporters. He's lying to one of them. And if he's a good Mormon, that means he's lying to the reporters because they believe in lying for the Lord. So he is going to be uh, faithful and true to Gordon B. Hinckley and to the other apostles and prophets that come along the way. And you know there is going to be a really tight bond there, especially uh, in light of his temple covenants. The second question was, anyone? No one in our audience is listening. Lane, call back and give us a second. Maybe it will come to me. All right, we're going to Jason. In uh, I, lear- I learned a lesson on that one. We're going to Jason in South Jordan. Jason, you're on heart of the matter. Hey, I'm
0: glad you brought up Mitt Romney. Um, he's a lying, musty clam, and so are you.
1: Yes. Well, at least I'm in. I'm in. Uh, I'm in good company with a handsome, wealthy, successful guy, and he's still Mormon. and I was, so we have some. Some similarities. Um, All right, we're going to Robin in West Valley City. First time caller. Robin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you?
3: I'm good. Hey, I have a girlfriend that she's born again Christian, so am I, but she's married to a Mormon who strictly believes in what he believes. Anyway, we got into a conversation about Cain and Abel. Woo. He said the curse that god gave cain was to make him a negro that was his curse as we have been feuding this feud i'm not very good with the bible i need to find the verse in the bible that says i know that he was given a mark and he was supposed to like dwell the earth not be killed wasn't
1: he, like, live like a vagabond or something? That's, oh. that's the more the, His Mormon stories are carrying over into your, uh, your thoughts. Uh, a mark was set upon him that if anybody was to come upon him and seek revenge, they would have revenge poured out more upon them. But this idea that it said that he would roam the earth a vagabond, but it didn't mean forever and ever and ever. It's, uh, you can go to Genesis and you read all that's said about Cain, and it's very, very little. All these things about the uh, mark of a black person upon Cain uh, come straight through prejudice. And if you go and you look at our 2006 show or 2007, we talked about blacks in the priesthood. And uh, you can do that online and just click on it and watch it. And you'll find out what everything is that the Mormons have said and what is biblical. If you don't have, uh, uh, if you can't download the show for some reason, go to www.utlm.org and, and just look up the topic "Blacks and the Priesthood," and you'll learn everything about it. It's very simple. It'll take you 15 minutes, and you'll get an exhaustive response to that. But the LDS, what they do is they just take certain scriptures and they take it and they twist it. We've talked about twistianity. Every single thing they have taken that's Christian, and they've twisted it. And the mark that was put upon Cain, it never says it's skin. never says anything about that. I know that. Yeah. So uh, your friend is absolutely wrong biblically, and he gets all his information from Joseph and Brigham. By the, the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Book of Mormon doesn't talk about uh, Cain uh, that much, but you'll find more of that in the Book of Abraham, in the Pearl of Great Pro- Price which is really what gives you most of the ideas about Cain and and blacks in the priesthood. Well, the curse
3: was that anybody that came around Cain...
1: Wasn't to kill him for his crime. Wasn't to? Yeah, was not to kill him for his crime. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and nothing about skin. I also have another article, I can't read it, but it talks about uh, racism in the Book of Mormon. And man, if I just read out the top ten comments in the Book of Mormon about color of skin and inferiority of race, you would think that the whole shebang was a big racist movement. So, uh, When I was little and I was an LDS, mm -hmm. which
3: after going to, I can't remember what they even called it, where all the little girls got to go do stuff. They said that
1: marriage had to,
3: had to be sealed to your family or whatever before you could all be together in heaven. Well, my mom's Catholic, my dad's Jack Mormon, and I just didn't know what I believed And I thought, my God would not separate anybody. Right. We're all gonna go, we're all gonna have a, a happy, everlasting life. Right. And I do remember blacks were not allowed in the Mormon church.
1: They weren't allowed to hold the priesthood, but they could always be a member of, a, of the church. Not that you would ever want to. You couldn't do anything in it, but you could always be a member.
3: They slammed them. We didn't have any when I was little.
1: Yeah, it makes sense, huh? Done. Hey, thanks for the call, Robin. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Um, let's go to Joseph in Springville. Joseph, you're on Heart of the Matter.
6: Hey, Sean. How you doing? Hi, doing well. How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't had a chance to talk to you. I have uh, spoke with you or communicated with you on email, but I just wanted to call and tell you I appreciate what you've done Uh, my story as far as Mormonism is, is concerned is that you know my walk was a little different than most I mean it wasn't like a bowl of lightning hit me on my head you know to be all to be honest with you I basically was a little ticked off and I wanted to prove you wrong really and as I just kept studying and and reading the word and and I kind to of realized that uh, I was the one that was wrong and that wasn't an easy thing to do but now that I have come to know the Lord and accept Him as my personal Savior and and acquired a relationship with Him, it's been almost a year now since I first started my journey uh, you're right in a sense that uh, you know you can sure see a counterfeit from a mile away and it's touched upon my heart, and I say this in humility. I mean, I'm not. I, I love my Mormon friends, uh, but it's just, you know, it it's it's undeniable, yeah. and I thank you for that. Uh, but as far as your your topic tonight, the Godhead, I am just totally overwhelmed. I don't see. I don't view myself as not very intelligent, but I can't grasp the full glory and majesty of, of God the Father right I can relate to Jesus because you know he come down he was God incarnate in, right. uh, in a body of flesh but I could never accept God as a man of flesh and bone it's just it's it's just not my way right. I mean once you understand uh, who <coughs> God really is or at least my limited understanding, you couldn't contain that in in a body. I, I have too much high regard for uh, His majesty and in glory. and. But anyway, I won't go on. I just wanted to say thanks, and I just did have one quick question. I, I, I'm interested in, in the Bible that you have. I mean, I, I, I tried to find it in one of the Christian bookstores, but if you could just give me a little bit more uh, as to what Bible you have and I'll go ahead and listen to your comments off the air, and I look forward to seeing you sometime. I really want to make a public uh, uh, declaration to the Lord by one of your uh, baptisms awesome. uh, in, in the pub. and Well, not in the pub, but you know what I'm talking about. A public <laughs> you never
1: pub. know it with us, Joseph. Hey, Joseph, that was a fantastic call. It really lifted my spirits, and I pr- with you, I praise God for all this. And uh, really, a wonderful call. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, bye-bye uh what was the question um, bible. oh they're paying attention now uh the bible is a thompson chain bible and uh, it's a wonderful bible because uh what it does is it takes topics and it gives you the next verse in the bible that covers that topic and then it gives you a fantastic index at the back of of topics But it's a King James Version. I read the King James Version because I like it. That's what I grew up in. That's what the LDS read. Uh, There's other good versions, but it's a King James Version. And it's large because um, I want wide margins. It's not large print, but it has wide margins so that I can take notes. So it's a Thompson Chain Bible, wide margin, King James Version. And Joseph, thank you so much for that call. Let's go to April quickly in Bountiful. April, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. You're on the air, April.
4: Okay. So I can't hear you on the TV. Okay. No. Okay, my question is, I've watched you a few times, and I wonder, you, you said that you've been LDS. You were LDS. Yes. Served on the High Council. Um, what caused you to turn against the Mormons?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I know, Uh, you know, it's a great question, April, and and I'm going to say it again quickly because we have new viewers, but uh, as you know, I was active LDS 40 years, served a mission, married in the temple, bishopric, stake high council, seminary teacher, elders quorum president, uh, wife uh, still on the rolls, came to be a Christian, but I was a sinner in my heart, April. And no matter what I did as a member, I was a very obedient, strict missionary. I served well in the church. I I had just a natural relationship with the people. I had no problem with anybody in the church. But the doctrines were not bringing me to a place where I believed I was okay with God. I was never okay with God. I was constantly working. I was on a treadmill to try to prove my allegiance and my, my worthiness for Him. And I never had peace. And so I came to kind of a a pivotal moment in my life in 97 and I heard a radio pastor and he said, you know, if you could make yourself worthy, why haven't you done it? And it made me stop literally and listen to him and his message really spoke to me. And so I offered my life to the Lord. I asked to be forgiven of my sins for him to lead my life and and for him to become the Lord of my life, Jesus Christ. And when I did that, by the end of the day, actually within the next hour or so, I was born again. And I realized as a born again person, I stayed in the church another four years, but I realized that isn't taught. And the reason it's not taught is because they're taught you're born a child of God. Why would you need to be born again when you're born a child of God? And I know the Book of Mormon touches on it, but when the rubber meets the road, it doesn't come down to the members in the church. And so they wander about living by their own souls, living by their flesh, trying to do right, trying to do everything the church wants them to do. And no one knows that they're saved by grace. They think they're saved by grace and works. And so it just it's I wrote a book, and long story short, I came on a TV show, and I'm passionate about it because I want them to experience the freedom I have. I don't want to battle with them. I, you know, I, I'm really very liberal, actually. But I just know what Jesus is, and I know what the truth of the gospel and the Bible is, and I know what a counterfeit is, and it's a counterfeit. So that's the long story short. Can we send you a book?
4: Well, I appreciate hearing that because I didn't, I didn't ever catch that from your TV show. Yeah. But I also wondered. I know you, you believe that grace is all we, all you need to be saved. Yeah. So. Does a person not have to be anything different? Does he have to try to do something? Does Hitler get to be, have the same blessings and glory as Mother Teresa? I mean, don't you have to live your life in a God-like way?
1: Yeah. Don't you
4: have to do something?
1: April, it's a really good question, and let me summarize the answer quickly. When it comes to being saved, that means living with God in the Christian vernacular, when it comes to being saved, it is by grace. There is nothing you can do to add to your salvation, to ensure it better or anything. Now, when it comes to your rewards, the mansion you'll live in, the crowns you're given, it'll be based off the works you've done based on your love for him. And those works will be placed on an altar and tried by fire. So in a sense, what you're saying about how, do, how you live, is it, is it important? Yeah, because it's going it's to predicate what kind of uh, crowns and rewards you will get. But as far as living with God again, which in the LDS terms is the celestial kingdom highest level, uh, there is nothing you can do, nothing, but believe on Jesus Christ and confess with your mouth. And that's it. And that's a very big difference between the Mormons and the Christians.
4: Mm. Does that help? Uh, Yeah, I disagree, but that's
1: okay. All right, we'll keep watching. We'll keep talking. Hey, can I send you my book? Bye bye. Wait, wait, wait. What? Can I send you my book? Um come on it's not anti Mormon it's not
4: anti
1: Mormon I promise you
4: Okay send me your book Okay
1: stay on the line and operator'll get your uh, address All right Okay hold on what line is she? She's on line 2 Line 2 We're going to Jeff on line 1 This might be fun Jeff you're on heart of the matter Hey how are you doing I'm doing well how are you Good doing very good Excellent
2: Hey I just had a a, a question for you and the question that I had was that you know um Sorry, I have to turn the TV down here. Yeah. Is that the, you know, we're kind of battling between Christians and Mormonism. Uh-huh. And that's, and that's kind of what I've, what I've gathered. This is the first time I've actually seen the show. Oh. So, I mean, that's, that's all I'm gathering, and, and that's what I'm trying to sort out.
1: Yeah, that's what it is. The first commercial we did, we said what we do is we compare and contrast present-day Mormonism with biblical Christianity. Okay. Yeah. And so what I do is, having been both, uh, I we just go through and and where where Mormons say we believe this, I point out whether they do or they don't. And uh, really, that is the crux of the show. Hopefully, along the way, more Mormons will become biblical believing Christians, whether they stay in the LDS Church or not.
2: Oh, sure. No, I understand. Yeah. But in in contrast with that is that another concern that I have is is that. You know, I, I just I don't foresee that Christ would have or has ever, you know, torn down another religion. And I'm not saying that you're tearing them down, but you're you're trying to detour people from that. Um, what do you th- Because th- of, th- of your experience. Yeah, Jeff. Well, what- and I'll have to say I'm LDS. I've been on a mission. You know, all of that stuff. Surprise. <laughs> my experience was, you know, my conversion. And, yeah. And Je- I believe just like you do. That I, you know, I've I have to be born again, yeah, and that and that I have to believe in my heart and and have it's not about doing everything that the LDS Church says to do, but it's about living the way that I should and feeling good about the things that I do and not living by the rules or living by, do you know what I mean?
1: I know what you're saying, Jeff, but I'm not I'm not I'm not uh, speaking specifically of your experience or your opinions or thoughts, but the LDS church doctrinally teaches something that is different. And what it teaches is you have to have the new and everlasting covenant. You have to be sealed to a person in order to live with God the Father again. Okay, so that is based on merit and works alone, not to mention everything else that they heap upon the plate. But I bring that one up because it's irrefutable. And so when you talk about us sharing this similar experience and the same type of beliefs, we really don't. And that's what the whole show is. I mean, we're almost done our 100th show. And I've yet to have a Latter-day Saint call and just really lay it out how we really do believe the same things or, or admit that we don't and, and, and that we're not Christians and we stand up and proudly about it. You oh, know?
2: sure. And, and that's not my objective isn't to call and, and say, oh, hey, you're not Christian. Right. And, and you're not this and you're not that. Right. But my objective is just to say that that I really believe in my heart, just like you had, had testified to me, Right. that you really believe in your heart, that you've been saved, and that you feel, you feel comfortable with it. I don't it. have
1: any dispute with you on that, Jeff, because who am I to say that you, uh, as a Latter-day Saint or a Catholic or uh, whatever, doesn't know the Lord in his heart? I mean, I, I, I have no dispute. It's
2: definitely not a teaching that, I mean, you're not going to be able to live with with
1: God just because you're not married. Well, that's not true. That's not true, Jeff. According to doctrine, that's not true. Now, maybe in your heart, that's okay. But in the doctrine, that's not true. Where at, though? Oh, read your Doctrine and Covenants, read 132. That starts off talking about the New and Everlasting Covenant. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, you have to be sealed by the priesthood, by an official priesthood holder in order to live with God again. You have to. And so that's, I mean, you can live in the celestial kingdom, but you cannot live with the father again. I, uh, you know what? We have no time left one minute, but I love your call. Keep watching. Can we send you a book?
2: I appreciate it very much. And, and God bless you. I. Thanks, Jeff. Can we send you a book? Hope that, that everything goes
1: well. Can, can we send you a book? You're more than welcome to send okay. me a book. Sure. S- stay on the line and we'll send it off to you. Okay. Thank, line one. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. We have... The Musty Clam caller is on. We're going to try and see if this, if our operators are picking out the Musty Clam or not. All right, Bob, you're on the air.
6: Bye. Hey, Sean, what up?
1: Not uh, much. How are you doing?
6: I got a legit question this time. We're all sitting around taking BRs over at my apartment. And uh, we, a couple of us have heard that uh, Kane is Bigfoot. Can you uh, confirm <laughs> or uh, refute that?
1: Um... I can't confirm or refute, but I can tell you that as a Boy Scout, we were certainly taught that.
6: I I read it in a book that my bishop uh, gave my girlfriend when we were having problems.
1: (laughs) Bob, I love you. You know, we're out of time. I'm not cutting you off. Call back. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Well, at least he knows he's coming to us with a sense of humor. Listen. Jesus said, no man has got seen God at any time. Joseph said, he saw him. Jesus said, Do you, uh, God is a spirit. Joseph said, God is a body of flesh and bone. Let's be frank. Frank LDS, you've had questions. They've hidden inside your heart. You have them. Search them out. You'll find him. And you can be born again and know Jesus personally. Until we will see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
0: Cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. Going to break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. Going to break my rusty cage. Thank you.